Good morning. This week's Thanksgiving, right? Amen. Turkey, right? And dressing and all kinds of good stuff. Or if Josiah has his way, pizza. We'll see what happens. But <laughs> we're going to take a break from Luke this morning and go into Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37. Let's look at verses 1 through 7 right off the bat, and then we'll walk back through these verses uh, together. Let, let me read you uh, Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of evildoers, for they will soon fade like a, the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the one who carries out evil devices. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Father, I thank You. Lord, I thank You that You are good. I thank you that we get an opportunity to gather and to honor you this morning, to respond with grateful hearts to the one who made us, the one who sustains us, the one who redeemed us, and the one who will carry us home one day. Lord, I pray that we would truly walk out of here this morning with hearts that are full of thankfulness to you, with gratitude towards you for what you have done. God, help us to, to receive your word in such a way uh, that we respond to you in a way that pleases you and honors you and gives you glory, honor, and praise. Help us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but when I was younger, I had a tendency to believe things that weren't necessarily true, even though, looking back on it, I should have known. Like, there was this one time that uh, I read a book, I don't know if y'all have ever read it, it's called Where the Red Fern Grows. It's a, it was a great book, it helped me you know, growing up, it just sort of set the, the pattern for my life in a lot of different ways. It was just a good book about a boy who wanted some hunting dogs. And his family didn't have money to buy hunting dogs, and so he had to work to get these hunting dogs. He lived in Oklahoma and had to come all the way over to Arkansas, that, that sort of thing. Well, he, he goes and he works and he does everything he's supposed to do to get these, these dogs. Well, because he wants to hunt coons. He wants to make money with these coon dogs. Well, before he can use the coon dogs that he finally goes and gets and brings home, he has to train them. And in order to train them, he needs coon fur. And so, but he doesn't have coon dogs to find the, the coons and just this different stuff like that. And so, like, he didn't have the money to buy the trap. And so he goes to his grandpa and he says, Grandpa, how can I do this? And his grandpa says, well, let me tell you how you make a, a trap. He said, well, you, you build this box and you make the, the opening at the top of the box just big enough for a coon to fit his paw into and at the bottom of that box, you put a, a piece of metal, and then you chain this box uh, wherever you put it, and that coon will come along, he'll see that shiny piece of metal down in the bottom of the box, and he'll reach his hand in there, he'll grab it, and then when he goes to pull his hand out, he won't be able to. But it, he wants that, that piece of shiny metal so bad that he'll stay there until you come get him. Now, now I'm like, I don't know if that would work or not, right? I don't know, maybe it does work. But I'm like, I think coons are smart enough to know that hanging on to a piece of metal is not worth their life. But it, it got me to thinking, I wonder if we are. I wonder if, you see, because that coon was not trapped by a metal clamp. It was not trapped 
by a cage. It was trapped by its desire for something that was ultimately worthless. Because the boy comes along, he kills the coon, he's able to train his dogs. I, I wonder how often we end up being so foolish as to be trapped by something that at the end of the day really doesn't matter that much. That if we would just let go of it, if we would just let it go, we could get away. See, the truth is, guys, that we live in a world full of shiny things that look really good. But if we hang on to them too tight, they end up trapping us. You think about the way that we hang on to things like popularity and we want everybody to like us and so we do whatever we can to make people like us. Think about the way that we hang on to stuff, cars, clothes, houses, all those sorts of things. And we hang on to them no matter what. Think about success. Like, man, if I can just get one more promotion, if I can get just a little better, then I'll finally made it. If I can take one more trip, we hang on to, you know, relaxation, so much so that we end up never being relaxed, right? Or we hang on to education. If I get one more degree, finally people will respect me. And while all that stuff is good, nothing wrong with it, when we hang on to the things of this world too tightly, like, I mean, it's good to be educated, right? It's good to be motivated to succeed. It's good to want people to like us. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But when we hang on to those things too tightly, we end up trapping ourselves. We end up not allowing ourselves to go to the places that God would have us to go, to not do the things that God would have us to do. And those things end up destroying our lives we're unwilling to let go of them. See, what we ultimately are thinking is going to satisfy us, what we ultimately think will make our lives better, it ends up controlling us. And what, what we're going to see in Psalm 37 this morning is, is that our future hope determines our present reality. And what I, what I mean by that is our goals, our, our purpose, our vision for our life, whatever it is that you're looking for down the road and saying that, if I get that, it'll be all right. That ends up determining everything about your daily activities. Whether it makes you happy or sad, it's all going to be determined on what you're hoping for, what you're looking forward to. And, and so if success is the thing that you want and you think, if I get success, then I'll finally be happy, well, then everything's going to be geared around you and your success. And so whatever it takes to succeed, it doesn't matter how many people I've got to crawl over to get there, I'm going to do it. And we know this is true, right, guys? There are so many places in our life that people try to convince us that their hope is better than whatever it is we're hoping in. Think about it. You can't even check out in the checkout line without people telling you, hoping this. Like you're checking out and there's a magazine there that says, hey, do this and you'll have 15-minute abs, right? You'll have a six-pack in 15 minutes a day right next to like a 5,000-calorie Reese's cup. And you're like, hmm. You know, so I can eat this and have a six-pack. That sounds pretty good to me in 15 minutes. And so that's our hope, right? And we put our hope in these things. And then we're sorely disappointed when they don't happen, aren't we? I mean, if our hope is in the temporary, if our hope is in the things of this world, we're going to be miserable. Because if your hope is, if I just had a little more, a little more is never going to be enough. And you're going to find that nothing really satisfies you. 
And so when we come to Psalm 37, what we see is that we actually are offered a better way to live, a a way to live that brings real happiness, that brings real delight, that brings real joy, and it's found not in the things of this world, it's found in the Lord. And so we put our focus on Him. In Psalm 37, verse 1, uh, David, God God has David write to us. He says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. God says to us, put your eyes on me. Don't focus on what the evil people are doing. He says, fret not. Like that word fret. When's the last time you said, man, I'm fretting about something. You're like, I'm good. Well, it means there's worry. Actually, the idea behind this word is that your blood would boil, that your face would get red, that your, your ears, my ears get red all the time. It's not because I'm mad, it's just what happens, you know, a promise. But, but you know, it's, it, that's the idea behind this word, is that you are upset that you can't sleep at night because of evildoers. God says, don't worry about them. Don't let them control your life. Don't let them control your happiness. See, it's easy to forget sometimes that the stuff that evildoers get by being evil isn't worth doing evil things. But we will forget that it's not worth it if all we ever look at is they have this and I don't. If we become envious and say, I want what they have uh, and I'm willing to do what they did to get it. But God says, listen, why would you give up your life? Why would you do things against who God is for something that's temporary? He he says it's like the the green herb of the field and, and, and this culture that that this psalm was written in they didn't have sprinklers and fertilizer they didn't have very much rain and so stuff that was green didn't last very long days and it's gone he says why would you invest your life why would you invest your soul and your spirit in something that's so temporary it's going to be gone tomorrow it's going to be gone before you can count to ten why would you allow what they have to dictate what you do and, and, and listen, I, I get it. It becomes frustrating sometimes when we see the way that the world seems sort of upside down. When you see folks who would make great parents struggle uh, to, to, with infertility and then folks who make terrible parents, it seems like they just keep having kids. I, it, it gets frustrating sometimes when you see folks who work hard, never get ahead and get passed over for folks who never do anything. I, it gets frustrating But if you allow those things to dictate what you do, then you're allowing them to control you. And and so God says, don't worry about them. Don't let them get upset. Don't let yourself get upset over what they're doing. You focus on the Lord. Look at verse 3. This is the alternative. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And so instead of looking to ourselves to fix things, instead of looking to ourselves to set things right and make things even, we trust in the Lord. We trust that He actually knows what He's doing. We trust that He actually has a plan and that He's going to work these things out the way that they ought to be worked out. As long as we don't get too focused on the things that these people have and stay focused on who God is and what He's doing. And so rather than being tempted by what they have, we focus on who God is. We focus on the fact that He has a plan. And it says here, uh, trust in the Lord, do good. And so don't do evil. Don't be sucked into doing what they do. You do what you're supposed to do and let God handle the rest. That, that's what he's saying here. Don't worry about what they have. You focus on 
what I've given you. It says here, he says, dwell in the land. What land is he telling them to dwell in? The promised land. The land that God had given them for nothing. The land that they had received simply because they were God's people. He says, don't forget what you have just because other people have what you don't. This was a, a, a nice teaching moment the other night with, with my, my princess. She was on her bed and she was somewhat upset. And I, I walked by and I saw her on her bed and she was just sort of, you know, down in the dumps. You could tell. You can, she's usually pretty good at letting you know just by the look on her face. And I was like, Zoe, what's going on? And she didn't want to tell me at first. And you could tell she was trying to work it out. And I said, what's going on? And she said, well, Dad... And then she just broke down. She said, I got four things at the book fair. And there were kids who got five. And I said, but didn't you get four things at the book fair? But, Dad, you don't understand. Other people got more than I did. They got five things. And only got four things. Look, I got this little... And he's like, she was like, I got this eraser. And they got all this. And they got this. And I said, but didn't you get four things? Yeah. Well, does it change based on how much they got? No. But you don't understand, they got more than I did. And she just kept going back to this. They got more than I did. And I was like, listen, if your happiness is based on what other people have, you're never going to be happy. If your happiness is based on the fact that you got the same as everybody else, you're never going to be happy. See, sometimes we're tempted to be like, well, you know, you got more than other people do, therefore you should be happy. That's still the same thing. Like basically their happiness is based on what other people don't have. That doesn't help us. There's always somebody who's got it worse, always somebody who's got it better. That's not the point. What they have does not affect what you have. Unless they stole it from you, and that's a whole different issue, right? But what they have should not affect your happiness. God says to these people, dwell in the land. Don't you remember what I've given you? Don't you remember the blessings I've given you? Then what does it matter what everybody else has? Don't you have these things to be happy in? then why are you so upset? Why are you allowing them to decide whether or not you are happy? Guys, we are to be grateful to, what, to God for what He has given us. We're not to be upset because He didn't give us what He gave somebody else. We're not to be upset because others have more than us. If that's the way we're going to live, we're never going to be happy. We're never going to have enough. God, God says, quit looking at the stuff and start looking back at me. And so he says, dwell in the land. Focus on what I've given you and befriend faithfulness. You do what you're supposed to do. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. If you're always worried about what other people are doing and how they got it and it's not fair, blah, 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 guess what's going to happen? You're going to be mad, like every day, because nobody does what they're supposed to do all the time. Like nobody. Besides me, I'm a preacher, so I have to. But, but outside of... No, I'm just playing. Don't, don't say that, but... Uh, my wife will definitely disagree with that one. But, but, but that, that's it, right? I mean, we think that if I do what I'm supposed to do, then everybody else ought to do what they're supposed to do. That's just not the way it works. We befriend faithfulness. We don't do what we're supposed to do because everybody else is doing right because they don't do right. And if we're going to be mad because they get away with it, well, then we've got real issues. We're never going to be happy. And, and so, and beside that, that stuff is not the point. Listen to verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. 
Make Him your treasure. Love Him. Focus on Him. Make Him your future hope. Like if your hope is that you will have as much or more than everybody you meet, you'll never be happy. But if your hope is that God is enough, if your hope is that He is your treasure, you'll always have plenty. Like if your hope is to know more of Him, you're going to do things completely differently than if your hope is to make everything fair in your life. And so, so he says, delight yourself in the Lord. And then the second part of this verse, which we love, right? We like the second part by itself. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Right? I mean, you should be saying hallelujah. He will give you whatever you want. Pray for it and he'll give it to you. You, ha- you have not because you ask not. Whatever we ask, he provides for us. When we ask according to his will, we whisper that second part, right? He says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. What He's saying here is that when God is your treasure, you can have whatever you want. Because you see, when your heart is aligned with God's heart, when your treasure is Him, then your heart wants what He wants. And your heart breaks for the things that His heart breaks for. And God always gets what He wants. God is the sovereign of the universe. And so when you want what he wants, yes, you get the desires of your heart. God is saying, if you desire me, you can have all of me you want. When you delight yourself in in him, when you have him as your treasure, there is nothing this world can take from you. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on the earth, but lay them up in heaven. Why? Because here, people steal your stuff. People break in and steal. People, moths and rust destroy. There, everything you have is eternal. Nothing can ever be taken away from you. The, the truth this morning, guys, that, that God is trying to teach us is that it, when our desire, when our treasure is in Him, there's nothing anyone can take from us. Because no one can take Him from us. You see, some people who are, are wicked, and they have great earthly possessions, but they don't have the only possession that really matters. A relationship with the God of the universe. When our face is on him, our focus is on him, there's nothing anyone can take from us. Ask yourself this morning, what makes you happier? Worshiping the Lord or finding a hundred dollar bill laying on the on the ground? You're like worshiping the Lord after I find the hundred dollar bill, right? But 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 what what's more important to you? The things of this world or him? What breaks your heart more? Losing that hundred dollars or finding out that you have sin in your life? Or sinning because you lost a hundred dollars. You you get the idea. But we have to be careful, guys, that we don't try to look at the stuff of this world as our satisfying uh, thing, that, that that's not our hope, that God himself is our hope. When he becomes our hope, when he begins our tre- becomes our treasure, then we have everything we need. He says, if you want me, you can have all of me you want. He's available to us. How do we do this? How do we treasure him? Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. Then verse 6 says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. He says, give up control of your life and let Him decide where, which way you're going to go. Quit trying to control everything. Quit trying to tell Him what to do and when to do it. Trust Him. That's hard to do, right? Take your hands off and say, hey, do whatever you want. But if you really believe that He has what's best for you and you really believe He is what's best for you, then you'll let him do whatever he wants to do with you. What's your fears this morning? 
Give them to him. Say, Lord, I can't handle this. I need you to handle it. What do you want most? What's your greatest desire? What's your greatest dream? Don't be afraid to tell him. Don't be afraid to say, Lord, this is really what I want. This is what I desire. And either he'll give it to you or he'll change it. What, who is it that's hurt you the worst? Give them to him as well. you got to love Paul the Apostle. He, he said at, at one point in one of his letters, he said, Alexander the coppersmith has greatly hurt me. Let God take care of him. God will repay him in due time. Give them to the Lord. He knows how to handle things better than you do. Allow the Lord to reign in your life. Give the Lord the reins of your life to direct where you want Him, where He wants you to go. Then verse 7. This one's a little more difficult. At least for me. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. I'm, I struggle with patience. I'll be honest with you. I, it's, like I, I have scalded my mouth and burnt my mouth too many times to count off of uh, burritos and pizza rolls out of the microwave. Uh, the reason I cook pizza rolls in the microwave is because I don't have time to wait on them cooking in the oven the way that everybody says you're supposed to do it. But when you pull those little things out, did you know that they're full of lava? Like it, you, you could wait a minute and a half and have a good experience or you could do like me and eat them right out, right? Oh, I can handle it. And you just... Anyway, it burns all the way down. And you're like, ow. But, but, but patience is not a strong suit of mine. Being still is not a strong suit of mine. But that's exactly what we have to do if we want to find delight in the Lord. We have to trust His timing. We have to trust Him when He says, I got this. We have to trust Him when He says, I'm going to handle it. You stay back. Because here's what happens. We think that God has not heard us. We think that God is not going to act. And so we get antsy. And we start trying to figure out ways to make God do what we want Him to do before He's ready to do it. And then we end up making a mess of things. And we sort of jump off sides, so to speak, and we, we end up doing things, trying to take shortcuts and cut corners and, and rush things to where we want them to be when we look at everybody else and where they are. Because, you know, he, he repeats that again at the end of verse 7. He says, fret not yourself. Don't look at everybody else. Don't look at where they are. Look at where you are. This isn't a race. Like, we're not racing anybody else. This is a marathon. We're running simply with the Lord, and when we get there, we get there. Our goal isn't to be further along than everyone else or anyone else. Our goal is to simply walk with the Lord. Like, our hope is not to be where, where we're supposed to be before anyone else gets there. Our hope is, is that God will get us to where He wants us to be. God is calling us to wait on Him to handle stuff for us instead of us trying to handle it ourselves. Because I guarantee you, we could go around the room this morning and we could tell story after story after story of getting ahead of him and saying, hey, I think I'm going to handle this on my own, God. Catch up when you can. It doesn't work out, does it? We come to verse 8. He says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. When you focus on the people around you and what they're doing, you're never going to be happy. You're going to be angry all the time. You're going to be bitter all the time because you're always worried about what everybody else is doing. He says, don't do that. Focus on me. Then you come to verse 9, and here's where we see our, our ultimate hope. 
for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. So again, there we see the, just the shortness of our time here. But then verse 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Jesus quotes this verbatim in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Those who simply submit themselves to the Lord and say, God, you got this, are the ones who end up with everything. Those who try to take everything for themselves are the ones who end up with nothing. We are called this morning to sit back and say, God, I'm going to do what you told me to do. Not what I want to do, what you told me to do, and I'm going to let everything else work itself out. I'm going to submit to your will and your way because you know better than I do. You think about Jesus. He's the ultimate example of this. Jesus in the garden before he goes to the cross. Jesus is going to the cross to pay for your sins and for my sins. And on the cross he's going to suffer the penalty that is due us for what we have done. In the garden, the Son of God, the most powerful person to ever walk the the planet, God 100%, man 100% is praying. And he says, Father, uh, if it's possible, remove this cup from me. Remove this wrath from me. Remove me from this moment. But if not, not my will, but yours be done. That is what meekness looks like. Having all the power, all the ability, all the opportunity, and saying, Lord, at the end of the day, I just want what you want. You do in me what you would do. And God says the meek will inherit the earth. Not because we fought for it, not because we earned it, but because it is given to us. And when we get to that place, then we have what, what we find here in verse 11 termed as abundant peace. Doesn't that sound good? Like I would settle for just peace. He says you can have abundant peace, overwhelming peace, overflowing peace, so that when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, you can go to sleep and rest. You know the trick to that? No, I'm asking. I, I, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, it, it's hard, right? Because we lay on our pillow at night and we stay awake not because we don't necessarily trust God, but because we don't trust Him to do what we want Him to do while we're asleep. <laughs> right? God, I think I need to figure out how you're going to work this out and I'm going to tell you, okay? So I don't need sleep right now. I need to figure out how you're going to run the world and, and I'll figure it out. And, and so we end up staying awake all night because we're too afraid that if we don't give God the plan, he won't know what to do. But you know, he already knows what to do. Our job is to lay down and say, God, you got this. I'm going to go to sleep now. And when I wake up in the morning, I'll see what you've done. I'm going to get up tomorrow, and I'm going to see what you're going to do. Because I know that ultimately, you got this. You are in control. You have what I need, and you're going to work all these things out for good. For those who love you, who are called according to your purpose, and I can't make... Uh, any changes apart from you. I'm simply going to serve you and trust you and obey you and wait on you. That's what it means to follow him. That's what it means to have him as our hope. And when he's your hope and when he is who you're depending on, it kind of lets you off the hook a little bit. Actually, it lets you off the hook completely. So you say, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. This is true in everyday life. This is also true in salvation. So many of us, we have this hope that we can be good enough, that we can earn it. But the truth is, our hope is not that we can ever be good enough, that we can ever earn it. Our hope is that Jesus has done it for us. That's going to change everything about the way that we relate to God. Because if we really believe Jesus has done everything, we really believe that He is enough, 
Are we going to try and add to what he has done? No, we're going to be grateful to him. And we're going to live lives of gratitude. We're going to live lives that love him and serve him and follow him. Not because we're earning our salvation, but because we are saved. Not because we're trying to get in, but because we are in. And we're simply following the one who got us in. We're simply trusting him. Guys, our hope this morning is not that we are good enough. Our hope this morning is that he is. And that he offers to us salvation freely. No matter who we are or what we've done, we have the offer of free uh, salvation, free eternity through what Christ did for us on the cross. Because he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross and he died in our place. He paid our penalty so that we could be set free, so that we could live with him for eternity. And so I want to ask you this morning, what is your hope? Is your hope that, that one day you'll finally have enough and you'll have to, you can finally stop trying to get more? Is that your hope? It's never going to come. If it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to. Is your hope that one day you'll finally be good enough and you'll finally feel like you deserve uh, heaven, that you finally deserve salvation? It's not going to happen. None of us can ever be good enough. Our only hope, our only satisfaction this morning is the one who offers us free salvation. If you would stand with us. And as you stand, I'm going to ask you to, to pray with me. And during this time of prayer, just ask yourself, what are you hoping in? What are you putting your faith in? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. God, I thank you that we have real hope this morning. God, that we don't have false hope, but God, that we have hope in you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. God, that you would guide us uh, through your word this morning, through this time of prayer, through this time of singing. God, that you would be glorified through these moments. God, that you would be honored in the way uh, that we respond to you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.